every everything has been revealed there's so much truth that has been revealed that's right and it's, it's so exciting and disheartening at the same time but then what has to happen is somebody has to look inside of themselves for truth and people do not trust themselves Correct. so this is getting people back to a place of connection where they can sense inner truth so that they can be self-directed and individuated to guide their lives and we'll find as we become healthier and we make these decisions that feel aligned there there will be new groups that emerge in that truth but it does take massive bravery welcome to the sovereign mind body and soul podcast with coach jerry i am your host coach jerry and this is the place where i deliver to you the truth about pain-free health and joy as i know it from my heart and my soul now i left my corporate seven to seven job to pursue holistic health and rehabilitation a passion that stemmed from my personal struggles with obesity misery and disease you see it was only after i surrendered my attachment to the medical system that i began to truly heal at the root level from arthritis and depression to autoimmunity it all vanished when i put the doctors and pharmacists on the do not call list this isn't medical advice i'm just sharing with you my journey the passion to share the truth as i know it about health was so strong that i left my six-figure corporate management job and here i am with you today and from the bottom of my heart i thank you for joining me I had a wonderful visit today with kelly and kevin russell and i'm excited to share this conversation with you Kelly and Kevin are her husband and wife super duo. They own Radical Enlightenment and Radical Transformations. They help heal people at a deep level mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically. Kelly is a classically trained therapist who found out that traditional approaches fell well short of the mark. And after witnessing miraculous and almost instantaneous healing in her best friend and her husband, she began pursuing her therapy protocols from a different angle. She uses kinesiology, energy work, and yoga as a part of her psych therapy, a true shamanic healer. Kevin came from the corporate world of achievement and status, only to find himself in a place where his marriage was shaky, his sense of self was fading, and he felt signs of rapid aging. A divine awakening sparked his higher self to call into action. He started experiencing quantum growth and personal development in his soul, propelled him to write a book called My Guy on the Ninth Floor, and he wrote this book in two and a half weeks phenomenal read. He now helps people break their cycles of being stuck by getting them in touch with their highest self. He's a clairvoyant transformation coach currently, and he uses his soul to connect to yours and follows its lead. We get into so many deep topics like why are we prone to mass formation trances? What is individuation? And how does a lack of individuation create a dependence and throw us into adult survival mode trances? We even show you how to connect to your higher self to help solve some of life's biggest riddles. I actually participated in one of their exercises. It was fantastic, it was quick, it was efficient, and it was very effective. I thank you for joining me today, guys. Relax and enjoy the show. Welcome everybody to the Sovereign Mind, Body and Soul podcast with Coach Jerry. I am your host, Coach Jerry. And just as a reminder, I'm bringing this podcast to you to share the truth about health as I know it. It's come from my heart and soul, sharing my personal journey, my personal experiences, and my friends with you. And today I've got a couple wonderful friends. I got Kevin and Kelly Russell here. They are transformation guides, coaches. Kelly is a psychological kinesiologist, and Kevin is a clairvoyant transformation coach. And they work together. They work together in group format. They work together one-on-one. -on -one. You can find them at radicalenlightenment.com. That's for group participation or anything outside the realm of one-on-one -on -one coaching. If you want one-on-one -on -one coaching with either Kelly or Kevin, you can find them at rapidtransformationsessions.com. 
Facebook.com. Kevin and Kelly, thank you for joining me. Welcome. We're excited to be here. Looking forward to it, Jerry. How you doing, brother? Doing really well, really well. It's a beautiful day. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. I've been excited about this for weeks. Kelly and I have been going back and forth, and I got a going to be doing an app and so there's gonna be new podcasts for that as well but it's like why wait let's just do this and then when i get the new one you'll come on that as well oh that's awesome (laughs) and so both you guys guys come at this from a different angle than most people yet you're providing something that everybody if not needs could certainly benefit from and that is transformation becoming their best self getting their inner world integrated and I would love for you guys, if you don't mind, take a brief moment and we'll start out with you, Kelly, maybe you're next on my screen, but just tell us what it is that you do and what people can expect working with you guys. Yeah. So it's a way to access the subconscious programming where all of this, the trauma patterns run and those stress programs run. I really look at it like a cell phone with apps that are running. So sometimes we have these experiences in our life that feel painful and It's this program that's running in the background and it becomes something that we can't really see or name, but it affects our every life. It's like a bruise that gets poked and we have ways where we can access the program and delete the program or put the program to sleep so that it's not taking up all your bandwidth and your energy. So part of what I do is help people access the program, lower the stress around it. And then we establish positive beliefs to support them, whatever they want, whether it's, I want to find my soulmate. I want more abundance in my business. I want to figure out what's my true purpose in life. And I want a career that I love. I want better health, whatever it is, we figure out what the blockages are and then we address those. But then also once we remove those blockages, we want to fill it with the good stuff. It's not just enough to clear it. We want to access a better optimized path to help you move forward. And then we create actionable items to get you there. So to me, it just clears up all the, if we go to a talk therapy, we could go in the wrong direction for six months. Like yeah. The body doesn't lie. So it helps guide us to that root issue so that we can save time and create changes where they matter. Boy, isn't that the truth? And there was a time when that stuff was like, all that was hypothetical, pseudoscience, Mm -hmm. airy-fairy, but guess what? Science is caught up, guys. So if you're still in denial about everything that Kelly just talked about, look at that, because she's speaking the truth. She's absolutely speaking the truth. And I just can't, I just can't be more excited to dig into this conversation with you guys. Their catchphrase, guys, like what they promise to deliver is that they help you find the inner freedom, no matter what is going on the outside. Now, if you think about it, that's a bold promise, but if you know what's causing it, there's nothing stopping Kelly from helping you source that and helping you get to your best version of you and a happy version of you and a healthy version of you. So thanks, Kelly, for sharing that. And I can't wait to delve into more. Kevin, Kevin, go ahead and let us know exactly how your approach, your the way you use your clairvoyance and your, your natural ability to intuit with people to get them to transform and to get them to take actionable steps. Yeah. And I'm glad you said natural ability because it is. Every single one of us comes pre prepackaged with clairvoyance, clairaudience, clairsentience, future casting as far as defining what we want to experience and pulling it towards us and informing the system at the energetic level of the new reality. We are self-healing. We are remote viewing. All of those things are completely natural. So I feel like in my own journey, I just accessed some of those natural capabilities are already within us. 
but my approach is really similar to Kelly's. We really came up with very practical practices that we into we learned and integrated on our own journeys of not only working on ourselves but working on a relationship together and the additions really just helped to augment that so an example would be i was working with a client this week and we were circling a stressor or a trauma that that was on that was underneath the symptoms that they were experiencing and couldn't quite put our fingers on it. And so I just dropped in and opened up and I was like, okay, something to do with a sister. Do you have a, do you have, and we had worked together for a little bit, but I hadn't really opened the door to those more intimate family relationships. And she said, well, I don't have a sister. I have a stepsister. And I was like, okay, so something to do with stepsister and mom around this age and her jaw dropped. And she's, and this is speaks to the continuity of life. And the synchronicity, she said, you know what? I haven't thought about my stepsister in, in five years. And then yesterday, the day before we were working together, she said, all of a sudden she just popped into my mind. And so to Kelly's point, like the body knows everything that's going on. And then it was just me having an access point to that information as well, that really helped to either confirm or solidify in the client's mind. Yeah, this is the right place to look. It was the place we didn't want to look because there was some tenderness there. Yeah. But in a in with guidance and just moving through that experience instead of looping on the story, we're able to really disarm that reaction at the subconscious level and neutralize it. So when we reach for the subconscious mind body reaches for those reactions out of a safety program, it's not there. That program's not there anymore. That those right. pages of the manual get ripped out. Yeah. And then to Kelly's point, it's like, okay, now how do we want to experience life instead when we touch on these tender spots? And it can be with neutrality. It can be with confidence and calmness. We can really establish the how and the why in a collaboration with the clients. But yeah, and it comes through in interesting ways. There's some more exotic ways that it's come through as well. And I'm happy to dive into if we get to that point. <laughs> yeah, let's please put that on your list of stuff to talk about because this stuff... It's, I find it fascinating. I know yeah. very little about it. I know that I have experienced what you're talking about. Yeah. I don't know how to make it happen. I've just experienced it. Yeah. And when it, we've talked, guys, we Kevin wrote a book called My Guy on the Ninth Floor. And it's, we'll talk more about it later. But just to preface what I'm about to talk about it is it's really, and forgive me if I butcher my interpretation, but what I got from it is Kevin's story of awakening where he was all of a sudden ascended to this place where he had contact and direct connection to his higher self, which is connection to everything. And yeah. so as I'm, as I picture these clairsentient, clairaudient, clairvoyant situations, in particular, the one you just described, what comes up in my mind is like this image of, of almost like our brains being less like the producer of information, more the antenna, the receiver. And then if we think of what information is real energy that gets put out into the ether, becomes part of the acacia field, so to speak. But we've got two antennas in the room, and but one antenna is open and receiving, and the other antenna might be looking for certain frequencies, and the frequency that has their answers, they're not open to, but you are, and so you're able to channel that for them. Is that anywhere near what's happening in your experiences, Kevin, or, or can you break that down further? 100%. And that's a really great way to to present it or describe it. And I'm, I am in the same camp. I don't look at anything really originating in the brain. I look at the brain more like grand central station where it's a lot of coming and going and a lot of traffic and a lot of different expressions taking place. 
and so that's where the power of observation and curiosity really comes in and staying out of any place that I think I know the answer. Yeah. And that's really been a place of powerful operation for me because when I stay out of a place of thinking I know or forcing, oh, I know, it opens it up. And really open and curious, staying out of the idea that I know what it is, confidence in the understanding that the client knows what it is. Yeah. And because to your point, we're all connected to zero point energy, collective consciousness, however we want to term it from either a sure. quantum or a spiritual standpoint the information's there. And because we're all connected to the field, that information can be accessed with the right conditions. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And this takes me right into what Kelly does with the kinesiology and using that to help people's psychology, which helps the soul, helps everything. And Kelly, what would be your, what would be your assessment of what we just talked about, but also how the physical body as an antenna right? Or as a communication conduit to our mind, body, soul complex, anything that you can add or jam on that, what's your yeah. take? The way I approach it is through muscle testing. So mm. this is applied kinesiology. Some people have experience with this, with their nutritionist, their homeopathic doctor, or their chiropractor, because they'll use muscle testing to determine whether they should take a certain herb or not, or whether there's a structural misalignment in the body. And can you, can you break, sorry to cut you off, but yeah. would you mind just taking a minute to break down what muscle testing is for yeah. those that are unfamiliar? Absolutely. I've been told that any muscle in the body can be tested, but we are trained as kinesiologists to do a simple arm muscle test and you hold your arm out. We ask the brain a question or we say a statement. For example, if I say, my name is Kelly, there's congruence in the brain. So my brain says, yes, this is accurate and it sends a neural signal down the arm. So when a pressure is applied to the arm, we get what's called a lock. It forms a strong hold and we may apply pressure and it just locks there like there's a shelf underneath it. Now, if I say something like, my name is Larry, my brain says, no, it's not, does not compute. <laughs> and it sends a neural signal from the brain down the arm. And because it's a disrupted or weakened signal, the arm starts to go down like a wilting flower. It just goes. You're living a lie. <laughs> exactly. It's a, truth, it's a truth detector. Yeah. When we start a session, we do a couple of techniques to balance the brain. We have neurologists study the brain when someone's in a state of stress and you hook someone up to electrodes. They're either in one hemisphere of the brain or the other. It's not both. So you get either very emotional or you're spinning out over mentalizing, trying to figure it all out. So when we start a session, we do some activities to heighten both sides of the brain. So we have access mm. to more info. We do a little it. bit of breathing to balance the nervous system. And then yeah. we do baselines. So we just start with a true false, a yes, no, and then a super easy stress test. Think of something that you like, and then we do a muscle test or think of something you don't like, and then we do a muscle test. So when you think of something that's good and it feels affirming, we get a strong response. And when you think about something stressful, it makes your whole body go weak. We get a weak response. So once we gauge those baselines, now we get into the nitty gritty. Now we can start asking the real questions. Is this thing really causing the stress that you think it is, or is it something uh, else? Yeah. Like for example, I had a client I was working with last night and I asked for, here's your goals. And what are 10 past stressful or traumatic events that you feel are blocking you from those goals? Ooh. And it just saves us time. 
So with this, we were we asked his body through a muscle test, are any of those 10 that you listed creating the, obs the obstruction to your energy? And his body said no. And so then we said, okay, is there another event that's causing it? His body said yes. And we said, okay, what age? And so then we just start dividing your age in half. Is it under the age of 20 or over, under 10 or over? And in this case, five-year-old. So then we were able to say, okay, is there trapped emotion that's causing this blockage or is it a certain thing? And so we were able to figure out exactly what it was. It's when his mother and him left the country and he didn't see his dad again for one and a half to two years. And that was not on his list, but his subconscious guided us and says, this is the thing that you need to look at. Wow. So, so is that a case of it being, it was such a, it left such an imprint on him that he chose to dissociate from it. And because of the dissociation, it was impacting him that subconsciously, or why did he choose to forget it? He didn't forget it, oh. but it didn't come up as his top 10. When I said, what do you think might be creating a problem here? It wasn't one of those on the list, but his system said, it's this over here. This is what we need to look at. Wow. And so we were able to release anxiety from age five. And so as we go through this process, he explains what that experience was like for him. So it's not weeks of therapy. It's usually a few sentences. Mm -hmm. And then we ask his body through muscle tests, can we release that stuck energy now? Yeah. And his body actually said, no, there's something else. So we kept pulling out more info until it revealed itself. And then we asked his body again, can we clear it now? And his body said, yes. So it's like, we're making an agreement with that subconscious sure. mind. It needs to pull some stuff into conscious awareness and then we can clear it. And then we do a muscle test to see, did that energy release? Did it clear? Yes. Wow. So then we move forward into the next thing. It's, is there something else that's necessary for this goal? Is there a different process we need to do? And then at the end, we want to create action steps around it so we can help move him forward into releasing and going in the direction of his dreams. Yeah. And yeah, I actually got like an emotional response to just the amount of care and authentic service that goes into that preparatory phase to begin your therapy with your patient. And if we were to look around and I'm not here to bash any practice, any modality, I think they all have their benefits and they all help people in their own way. But I've noticed a, a real lack of effectiveness in the traditional approach, talking things out, sourcing traumas and things like that. And it's not that it's like I said, it's not that it's not beneficial, but I think there, there's something missing, I guess, yeah. is big. And it's like, what is it? What's missing? Yeah. And my background is marriage and family therapy. And that's exactly what I found out. So that's where uh -huh. I have my, that's where I have my master's degree. But what I started to understand as parts of the puzzle came together is when you tell your old story, it is strengthening those neural pathways. <laughs> so you're getting stuck in the old story and it becomes more and more ingrained. And you get, you do get insights and it's wonderful to be heard from an outside source. However, now what thing I have this insight, but yeah. now what am I going to do with it? How do I fix it? Yeah. So this is the next step is to figure out what truly is the root issue. And then let's create a change around it. I want to get people to the other side of that. So that's my objective and goal. And that's where I think talk therapy misses the mark. 
is it's just talking, but then what? Now what? Yeah. And I, you know, what, what, one thing I get like the, a big missing piece that you provide and what you do is you're getting them into their feelings. You're getting them into their body. You're getting them into their, so they're using their head, their heart, their gut brains, their soul is involved and you can't help but show them the relationship between what goes on in the body and how that's affecting the psyche. And on top of what you can offer with the physical, the physical, uh, the physical help as well. But if you take a look at what they're experiencing normally is they might go in and everything might be approached through the brain or through the head, but everything they're experiencing is in the body or in the gut or in the heart or in the ethereal body. It's all connected. No one, yeah. But no one in the room can pick that up. And so just what a powerful environment you can create. Now, what caused you to go from the tra traditional couples therapy to serving in this capacity? Are you still doing both? No, I switched. My best friend broke her back. I watched her try to heal with Eastern and Western different modalities and nothing worked for two years. She got a failed back surgery. The pain was still there. And then she found this 86 year old emotional kinesiologist who is a medical doctor. And within a few sessions, the pain went away. So I was like, what is this? How did this happen? I watched her transformation and it blew my mind. She ended up going into this path because it impacted her life so much. She needed someone to practice on as she was getting her training. Kevin and I raised our hand. She said, hey, do you guys, can, I need to work on somebody. Can I share with you all the methods? And so we, all, we said, absolutely. So then we started experiencing changes in our relationship and in our life and then the way we felt inside of ourselves. And then something came up with our daughter. We're totally willing to share what happened, but we ended up taking her to the same emotional kinesiologist and when in about seven minutes transformed her condition. So then I was like, this is undeniable. I got to figure, I want to get trained in this as well. So yeah. I looked at Dr. Bruce Lipton's book, The Biology, oh, yeah. Biology of Belief. And in the back, he gives 36 different modalities for doing subconscious change, energy healing. And I started doing research on every single method, just crossing out the ones that didn't resonate with me. And I chose my top two and I went and got certified and trained. And uh, this is about eight years ago. So ever since then I've switched over because to me, this is where we need to access subconscious controls, 95% of everything. Conscious yeah. mind is only 5%. Yeah. So we're totally missing the boat. And I really kicked the brain off of its pedestal. So yeah. it's like, tuning into the gut, tuning into the heart, asking for questions in a different just way. Just a few pounds of fat and some neurons. Like, <laughs> yeah. Seriously, that's not the important mm -hmm. stuff. Eventually, I think I'll put it back there. I think it, it should be body, mind, spirit. It's all connected. But it was ruling my life and yeah. the lives of so many people. And it's, it tends towards planning and protection. It's so negative. So it's like, why? Mm -hmm. why I don't have to listen. Thank yep. you. Thank you for your feedback brain. And now I'm going to go look in a different place. As well. I know you're just keeping me alive and keeping me. Safe. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate that. You, exactly. You've kept me alive until today. Uh, done right. a great. Uh, <laughs> and so I, before we get, I want to get into some of the deeper, like how this is affecting the social mm. environment, how this is the collective consciousness, the collective unconscious, all that. But before I want to keep, oh, I, I've got this lighter note question that I've been meaning to ask. As a dude who likes yoga, Kevin, we're on the same team, bud. And <laughs> curious how my, so my yoga story, I told it on Kelly's show several months back, but just to remind any in the audience, 
I get like, I didn't get into yoga for any spiritual pursuit guys. I'll be fully honest. I had my awakening a couple months before I started yoga, but I got into yoga for my ego. Like it was straight up to be a better power lifter and I got into it and then everything, but my mobility changed my mobility, <laughs> but I was like, what in the shit is going on? Some of the stuff everyone's talking about what's happening to me. You guys, I was like, what is this? I'm hearing conversations right before they happen. I'm seeing things play out like a movie in my mind. And then it just happens right in front of me. And it just, you can't tell anybody, can you? I don't know. But so that's how I got into yoga, right? Like I got into it for an ego pursuit. It, it led to the Kundalini awakening or whatever you want to call it. And I've been hooked on, on, on the spiritual world and the intra and interpersonal world and the integration of them ever since. But Kevin, what got you into yoga and what is your, what is the thing that keeps you coming back? What is the hook mm. for you? <laughs> I love it. So yeah, so Kelly and I started practicing yoga at the same time, pretty much. This was a little bit before we got married, if I remember right, yep, uh, back in the early 2000s. And I think part of it was get in like wedding shape a little bit. But <laughs> it's always the ego that gets us in. <laughs> but for me, when you mentioned the powerlifting, so I grew up surfing and uh -huh. My goal was to be able to surf at as high a level as I could for as long as I could mm -hmm. in life and recognizing that strength, balance, and flexibility were very important key factors to that. So it was that kind of, hey, I want to be as functional as I can for as long as I can. I want to be like Dick Van Dyke when I'm in my 90s doing <laughs> planks and sit-ups and Russian twists and or Turkish twists or whatever in the yard, like showing off on morning television. I'm like, yeah, that's my goal. <laughs> So it was feeling good, really was the reason. And it pushed my boundaries in ways that I hadn't pushed them before. I don't, I don't know if they still do it, but if you're of a certain age, you remember those flexibility and strength tests in, in school where they have that box and you reach and you have to get over yeah. a certain... I think they quit doing uh, that because it was hurting people's feelings. But yeah, I remember... <laughs> <what they're doing>. <laughs> <laughs> so I went from not being able to touch my toes to being able to do a forward fold with my hands flat on the floor. Wow. And it's not for any type of accomplishment. It just felt really good. Right. It just felt so good being able to get deeper and getting into a deep squat felt so good. Where yes. you see more, more indigenous or closer to nature populations, that is one of our most natural positions from elimination to communication, gathering around a fire. It's a lot of deep squatting. Yeah. And so mine was... A beautiful thing I heard from a teacher one time was what we're doing on this mat is not the yoga. This is the yeah. preparation for the yoga. Yes. This is the Eastern Thank calisthenics you. to get you out of your own way yep. to get to the place of yoga. And I was finding in. similar. Yeah. Tuning, tuning it in. Tuning, yeah. Tuning the forks. <laughs> yeah. So I was drawing parallels to the way I would feel after a long surf session to the way I felt after a really intense out of Eastern calisthenics on a mat, which, what, which is what we're calling yoga. So I was looking for that surfer's high and I found a, a fraction of that, a portion of that after yoga. And I was getting flexible and I was getting, I felt stronger and I felt better. And then I started dumping into poses and not being as attentive to my musculature and started creating some issues in different joints. So then it was an ebb and a flow where I went really into yoga for a long time. And then I got more into surfing for a long time and then more into body weight training and boxing training. And if we pull back the lens for me, the, it was just more pursuit of knowledge of self if I was to encapsulate it all up. And surfing was a huge journey of self-knowledge, self-awareness, moving through challenges. Some days you, you paddle out and you just don't got it. 
Other days it's effortless and you catch every wave that comes to you. Some days you, you're paddling out on a big day and it's pushing your comfort zone. And some days you're going to that level three, four class that you've always wanted to try, but you never had the confidence to or whatever. So yeah, just really getting to this place of deeper comfort with my, my mind body with me just as yeah. a being. And at the same time, getting to those places where are the, there are those that are more practiced. I was in a, a Tim Miller class out here in Encinitas and it was a full Ashtanga primary series. And there's a younger couple at the time that are practicing in front of me, like going down into a back bend where from standing to a back bend where your hands are on the floor, coming all the way back up without assistance. And I'm just like, ah, you guys are amazing. And I hate you, but not really. <laughs> but it was just this like reflection of, oh my gosh, like I'm getting my butt kicked here and these two are playing. I love that contrast. I love, and it's just a signpost that everybody's at a different place in any journey with whatever we're pursuing. And none of it matters because if we get into comparison and judgment, then we get into misery and attachment and resistance. And yeah, it's amazing learning spaces, amazing arenas for self-growth and phys more physical comfort and using the bodies in the way that, that it's intended, which is regularly <laughs> and actively. Yeah. So yeah, just, it's been an, it's been an all over journey, but one I keep with me for sure. Yoga is definitely a tool in the toolbox. That's awesome. And I, guys, I just asked Kevin that question because as a coach, one of the things that, especially from a male clients that seems to create a lot of resistance is when I recommend yoga mm -hmm. and they're like, give me a stretching program. And it's just, I can do that, but it's not, you're not going to get the flow and I'm not a yogi, so I can't give you a yoga program. But yeah, so that was just a, another male to share their well, yoga experience because it's guys, and it's, that's something you should try. It's awesome. A hundred percent. And that's always been a curiosity for me as well. Even there's a more active flow that Kelly teaches called Budokan yoga. Yeah. I've seen and that. That looks freaking kick ass. It's so much fun. And it's a, it is a challenge for sure. Sure. But, and I haven't figured out, we touched on ego. So I haven't figured out if it's like ego or if as males, we're not quite as stout and stoic as we thought we were. If we get knocked off our pedestal thinking about a yoga class, yeah. And also competition and comparison, I feel as guys, that's a part of our operating system default. Once if we're enmeshed in the outer world of life, we use that as a, as benchmarking where we're at. We compare ourselves to others, which is not a healthy, not yeah. a healthy expression. So for yeah. me, I've always been like, push those comfort zones. I want, yes, give me something yeah. challenging. I want, I want to get knocked down and move through and figure it out. So maybe an openness, maybe is in general, like girls are more open. That, yeah. To and that. yeah, like my interpretation is like much more barbaric. It's like when I do yoga, it's like, I feel so feminine when I'm like, <laughs> my heart, you know, open my heart zone. And guys, yeah. what do we prefer? Yeah. 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 It's like, I can't that, flex my pecs and open my heart. Yeah. Like, yeah. Right. But it's like almost this, you open up your feminine side, more the right brain, left hemisphere of the body. And that for mm. guys, it can be very dishonored or very unnerving. I know it was for me when I first started, it was just like, oh my gosh, here am I exposing my breast. <laughs> 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 what am I really doing? I'm opening my heart. And if I looked at the last yeah. 35 years of my life, when did I ever open my heart? Yeah. Never, mm. never. Because right. I know that I'm Winnie the Pooh inside. And I'm five foot seven at the time, like 190 pounds, which is pretty big for five foot seven. Yeah. So I've got to, yeah, I've got to build this big, tough thing because 
if you figure out that I'm winning protection to walk all over. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to, you're right. going to rip out my stuffing and my squeaker and I'll just be a puddle on the floor, but yeah. I won't be able to do anything with it. Um, and let me ask now, are, yeah. have you found you've been able to embrace more of your Winnie the Poonis and oh, yeah. find strength? And there's great, there's amazing power. Yeah. yeah, I bring my honey. There's so much strength in the hunt in the poo in the punis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just a, I'm just a little wimp. I'm a little. No, no. I wouldn't yeah, I like say that. I would, say, I would say more of a an amazing softy in certain ways than a wimp. Yeah, a lot. I'm just vulnerable. I'm scared to get hurt. I'm scared. I'm scared to get taken advantage of. I'm scared that somebody's going to make friends with me and give me loyalty for a long time, and then take it away. And those yeah. are all my fears. Then I'm okay. those programs. Yeah, yeah, I'm okay with that. And if it happens. I've know. been I've been working with people a lot on this image of a love warrior because a lot of people come to me with relationship trauma, things have fallen apart and not the they've had their heart broken. So yeah. it's this whole idea like fall down nine times, get up ten times. Yes. That some people can close down their heart and shell up. And you see the result of that in old age, they're crotchety and angry and just mm -hmm. don't trust anybody yeah. uh, versus this image of arms flung wide open. Yeah, this can hurt brutally, stuck a knife in my heart and jammed it all around there, but I will get up again and I will love with an open heart. I will give and receive love freely. Yeah. So it's just like being a love badass. It's, yeah, it hurts, but I've experienced hurt before and I'll do it again, watch me. That's right. This is my game. This is my game, <laughs> right. game time, baby. I practice yeah. all day, every day. Let's there get in the game. There right. you go. It will hurt and that's okay. Do it again. Yeah. And obviously that's a lighthearted way to really look at our mm -hmm. resistances, yeah. right? The things that we aren't willing to confront, the things that we aren't willing to face at face value yeah. and ask what if, how come, what's my role in it? And my mind immediately goes to, it's probably recency bias, but my mind immediately goes to the collective and partly in large part of the social climate, but in large part of the work I do as well, because as you guys know, you might have an individual come to get coaching from you, but that individual is dealing with the social conditioning. And when they go home, right, there might, their wife or husband might not really care that they're on this plan to eat organic food and to stretch every night and to breathe and meditate or whatever protocol they're on. And so, that's another layer of resistance. But what I'm seeing is this, or I don't know if you want to call it karma. I don't know if you want to call it the Piper's getting paid, but these we're in a fourth turning these last several decades of things that were really good for a while. And it, it created softness, right? And the softness invites us to look to escape our pain, look to escape the truth, look to escape connecting to and being compliant or relational to our highest self. And so I've seen an almost comical manifestation of this collective shadow that's been a, a great, I'm just going to say it. Like we had cocaine found in the white house and nobody cares. <laughs> we, <laughs> hello, that's just an example, right? But. I would love to hear what your guys' take is on like the state of the collective right now and what kind of like shadow behavior or unconscious driving could lead to this mass formation of 
lack of individuation, I guess, would be the most polite way to put it. So, yeah, what do you guys think about that? Whoever wants to go first, go ahead and jump in, or you guys can talk at the same time, but I would love to hear your guys' take on it. You can go, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> I think he wants okay. to Kevin okay. is rub rubbing his hands together okay. over there. <laughs> nobody can hone your blade but you, and nobody will. Mm -hmm. So that's number one. Number two, whatever we want to call it, I boil it down to a separation from self, which in turn creates a separation from the collective. And for me, this goes back to the industrial revolution. And so not to go too far afield, I promise this will all tie in. It's all good. So man. If, we the robber, <laughs> if we look at the robber barons from the late 1800s, it was like the wild west of industry and capitalism. And Rockefeller is one of the most prolific names that we hear. And in my research and in my understanding, one of the most collectively challenging and destructive forces that we've experienced in the last century or so. It starts with the dependence and domination in the petroleum industry, and then it moves to pharmaceuticals very quickly in the early 1900s, as well as the formation of the Federal Reserve which the founding fathers were abjectly opposed to. So there's a lot of locus of control shifting away from the population in a republic or in a democratic republic and moving more towards those that have money and have power. And then also choice is really stripped away in a large part in the 19, 19 teens with the Flexner report, which was commissioned by Rockefeller to denounce natural healing and mm -hmm. to say that the only medical model that is approved is the petroleum pharmaceutical-based medical model, which basically is with petroleum-based products, cloning natural compounds, naturally found derivatives, and saying, no, this is, you can't patent nature, but you can patent a, a carbon copy that's produced from another substance. Yeah, taking the um, shamanic recipes and making them synthetic. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, which is really extracting our cycle from the natural cycle and interjecting yeah. what are not the oil is in the earth and it's not the oil that's necessarily the bad thing. It's all the things we're doing it and the lack of care and, and attention we're really giving to sure. the outcomes that are included right. with this singular pursuit of this is the only energy form source. These are there's coal and there's other yeah. things involved, but largely petroleum's dominated the last 150 years or so. So then we get into world wars and locuses of control and propaganda. And if we look at what happened to after World War II, a lot of the propagandists and a lot of the scientists that Nazi Germany was using came to the United States and started doing very similar things for NASA. So then we get into the world wars and different focuses of propaganda and control and not necessarily putting together, connecting the dots of the whys. So if we look at Germany in the 1930s, people were papering their houses with money because it was so devalued. And so everything is connected. People were paying for a loaf of bread with wheelbarrows full of cash because after World War I, the blame was foisted on Germany and they bore the brunt of the outcomes of that war, which leads to a heightened sense of fascism and nationalism because it's a reaction to our environment, which leads to the rise of the Nazi party. 
who were brilliant at propaganda, political and polit politic with the K speak. So World War II happens. And after World War II, a majority of the scientists and propagandists that were active in Nazi Germany were brought to the United States. And we can see this yeah. in Hollywood. We can see this in NASA. Werner von Braun was a famous rocket scientist for the Nazis who famously said something to the effect of, my job isn't to, my job is to make the rockets go up. I don't care where they come down. Yeah. So yeah. there's this separation from self there as well. Self or a separation from the collective because of trauma. And then we get into the 1950s. And in the United States in the 1950s, the corporate tax rate over a certain amount was 90%. And that's wow. a big factor to why there was such a burgeoning and prolific middle class because you can afford to have a one income household because the corporate profits weren't all concentrated at, at different levels that were not making it down to the working class as they have been since trickle down economics and Reaganomics in the 80s, which has been proven to be completely a fallacy. There yeah. is no trickle down <laughs> because yeah. greed and fear are the two primary drivers of reactive human nature. And they're going to trust all these people us. with the majority of the finances and they'll make sure it gets divvied out. Just Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's been this kind of slow drip. I mean, there's a lot of other detail that I can go into, but there's been this slow drip, some intentional, some unintentional separation from self separation from others. And it is at the macro level, the societal and global level. It's also at the micro hyper-personal level with family trauma, with generational and ancestral trauma that passes down, which research is finally coming to, to prove up to 14 generations of genetic information and how to survive in the world is passed down through our DNA. Yeah. And so there, it's this, uh, this witch's brew of, uh, of a perfect storm that if people are of a certain awareness can take advantage of it because a population that is more seeped in fear is more tend or will tend to consume more yeah so we're in this consumer society and if there's a if we're looking at the news cycle there's a famous line if it bleeds it leads because sensationalism yeah. is gets eyeballs and it gets attention and it holds attention but if we're being giving so much of our attention and energy to the sensationalism, what else is going on that's really undermining our own individual sovereignty, our own individual freedom, our own individual capacity con to connect with ourselves and each other in a family unit, in a neighborhood unit, at a societal level. And so it's top to bottom a choice once we get to that place of recognition, but a lot of us may not even recognize there is a choice because so often it's that's the way it's always been done is the excuse yeah. that's given. Yeah, it, to break that down and unpack what I heard, basically there was uh, decades ago, the really the Rockefeller Foundation set it up so that we would be, for lack of a better term, cogs in a system. Yeah, the intention for both from a healthcare standpoint and a worker's standpoint was to create a an educated enough population to work a factory line. Yeah, yeah. And that's where, and the, that's where the American education system's founded in. Yeah. And so that creates a society, skip a bunch of steps to the conclusion, but th that it creates a pathological society, right? Because there's nothing healthy about, about doing mindless shit for 40 hours a week, right? right? There's nothing healthy about that. There's nothing healthy about mortgaging all your free time and all your enjoyment now for a 401k later that let's be real with what happens to that. It goes to surgeons and physical therapists and doctors and not as much gets spent on travel as we'd like, but what that does is that creates a situation where an individuated person becomes 
an outcast in their social circle. They become somebody who can't really fit into the news cycle because really to keep up on current events, you're just keeping up on false flags or living false flags. So we have a pathological society that in order to fit in, you have to be sick. And to not be sick, you have to be an outcast. Now we talk about the psychosocial physiological effects of that. So it's like almost this situation where you can't help but battle mental illness at some form in your life. So it's almost, I don't want to get too conspiratorial, but it's almost set up either intentionally or unintentionally, but the system is set up to create miserable people. And so it's like, what do we do about that? You find people like Kevin and Kelly for one. Don't mess around. And I'm, and the reason why I say that is is because that's tongue in cheek. But honestly, like when you talk about when I heard Kelly talk about how she prepares a client and when it, or a patient or whatever they're in for, Kevin, when I hear about your approach, what I'm not hearing is somebody who went to medical school for 10 years because they had a really successful father, a really successful grandfather, really successful uncles, and they knew they had to pick between being a doctor and a lawyer. So they picked being a doctor. And I don't know why I picked psychology. I just, let's look at that uncle and father thing again. But, but that's not what you're getting with Kevin and Kelly. But you might get that in a standard clinical setting. And again, I'm not here to bash anybody. I'm just trying to share my observations and my experiences in the world. So Kelly, I'd love to hear your take on that as well as your observations and assessment on the collective shadow behavior that we're seeing right now. Yeah, the way I look at this mass formation is a fear of not belonging. Ooh, which is how simple and powerful. It can be equal to death, both physical and emotional. Annihilation, right? And if we're not accepted by the group, then we are outcast and that could lead to, yeah, physical and emotional death. So the fear of that, whether conscious or subconscious, allows horrible things to happen. And it Mm -hmm. allows people to just put their head down and do what they're told. So Mm -hmm. it's very risky to be a free thinker because we're pushing against the group and that can lead to death. So that's one of our strongest survival ploys is to not die, of course. So yeah, and you almost have to die once to get there. You have to, yeah, or be willing to. That guy on the eighth floor where where, (laughs) the sixth floor or whatever, that guy's got to fall and die. And then you can go to the ninth. (laughs) So it's what happens is we put our faith in somebody else that we believe has more knowledge or more power to tell us what to do. And Mm -hmm. what we've discovered in the last few years is that every system is broken. The education system is broken. Our political system is broken. The medical model doesn't work. Every, everything has been revealed. There's so much truth that has been revealed. That's right. And it's so exciting and disheartening at the same time. But then what has to happen is somebody has to look inside of themselves for truth and people do not trust themselves. So this is getting people back to a place of connection where they can sense inner truth so that they can be self-directed and individuated to guide their lives. And we'll find as we become healthier and we make these decisions that feel aligned, there, there will be new groups that emerge in that truth, but it does take massive bravery. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And you hit on so many home runs. You just hit like 10 home runs right there as far as being able to conceptualize things in a very easily, easy to digest manner for people. And uh, yeah, you broke it down so beautifully. 
it's a tribal association thing or a fear of annihilation or fear of being accepted. It's a fear of not existing. And that need to be accepted into the tribe, because what does the tribe represent? It represents survival. But if I have a strategy of not thinking for myself and not feeling the pain, I can just escape in my consumption and I can outsource my thinking to the authorities. We have doctors and scientists for that. So I don't need to use this. That's a whole bunch of problems that we don't have to deal with or problems. And so there's this multi-layered reasoning behind why people would create these shadows. And guys, I'm sure if you guys are watching this and you've watched this far, you're familiar with what shadows are. But just as a brief recap, the shadows are there's aspects of ourselves that we're unaware of, they're unacknowledged, or we're in flat out denial of. The way I explain it to my clients is if your intrapersonal world was like a cave and in that cave was many treasures and there's some good memories, there's some bad memories, there's some things you completely forgot about, but this is everything that encompasses your intrapersonal world. Anything that we shine a light on that we bring to from the implicit to the explicit, right? We've taken that out of the shadows, but everything that we're not shining light on remains in the shadow. And so collectively we tag onto what Kelly was saying is what we've illuminated, what we've put in the limelight as a collective is our status, is our tribal association, is our possessions, our social media presence, you name it, income, all these things that we call like in my personality work world, the type three world, it's a very shallow look at me type of world, but that's what we've put in the limelight. So what have we put in the shadow? We put in the shadow our individuation process. We put in the shadow, boy, that belief runs my life. Where did I get it? What identities have I formed around it? I don't know why I procrastinate. (laughs) Look at that. And really it's just a collection. So what Kevin was saying earlier about people not being individuated. So you don't have this individuation going on, but then we have, so there's no real like collective unity, collective force in a healthy way, but we have a collective of unindividuated people. So the individual, the tie that binds it all together is some sort of authority figure that ha- doesn't have our best interest at heart. And it's almost like that dynamic right there is a big part of what's fueling this mass formation. I know dad comes home and every time he comes home, he's drunk and he yells at mom and he kicks the dog, but he's still dad. So what's he need us to do? No matter how pathological we know it is or how abusive it is, we still go back for more. Because we're children, we haven't snapped out of those trances, those those triggers, those those imprinted events in our body, in our mind, in our soul. And so, if we were to, if we were to think about, obviously, what's the next step? And so, it's got to happen. It's either got to happen at the collective, or it's got to happen at the individual, or the individual affects the collective. So. We've touched up on it. It's like we've got to, as individuals, grow up. We got to hike up our pants and do what needs to be done. But if you guys could say, in the work that you do with people and what you've seen and what you've seen work, what is something, what is one thing that anybody and everybody could do, like starting this month? What's something that they could do to increase their chances of becoming more individuated by the end of next year, let's say? Practices. Ah, so, so Kevin, why don't you share a couple of your disru- disruption practices and then I have an yeah. idea as well. Yeah. So I was going to say disrupt, disrupt, disrupt. That is and when the, you say disrupt, what are you disrupting, Kevin? Yeah. So that is the number one way to shift your physiological reality 
in moments. And what we're disrupting is the fight, flight, freeze, limbic system response that most of us, that's our main operating system a majority of the time. To, to Kelly's point, 95% of the time our subconscious is, is in charge, which means 95% of the time we are in a fight, flight, freeze, fawn response to our environment, to our situation, to other individuals. So if we aren't disrupting that physiological reaction, we will always be in a reactive state. We will never feel like, like stable or that there is a potential for experiencing peace. And we're always going to be reaching outside of ourselves for that answer. Uh, mm. We've all been talking about whether it's a substance, an individual, social media influencer, celebrity, right. sports team, if whatever it is, finding our sense of connection, sports mm. team affiliation. I'm a Samsung person. I'm an Apple person. Like th yeah. th that's to the level of what we're really looking You're at. Right. Yeah. And so disrupting those physiological responses, and Kelly touched on it when we're talking about what happens when we are in a reaction, and Gary, Jerry, you touched on it too, where we get dumped into our dominant hemisphere, and we are in a dominant hemisphere state instead of a balanced brain state. And depending on what, we, what our special sauce is, we're going to dump into a more reactive state, a more emotional state. If we are more right brain dominant, if we're left brain dominant, we'll be in a bit more of a pragmatic analytical state but still heightened, still sure. intense. We got to figure this out other than, oh, I don't, this feeling. So yeah. getting beyond the Yeah, yeah. Run away. Fix it, fix it. You um, know what I was thinking would be really cool, Jerry, maybe yes, if you're down for this, is I've, Kevin, Kevin, if because we can share this with listeners and watchers and you could do a couple of disruption practices and then oh, I can, yeah. I can yeah. guide us into an inner inquiry to start a process where you can start to look inside and come up with your own answer. Ooh, so would like you guys that. be down for that? I'm down. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Awesome. So let's tell everyone to just think of a question that you have. So maybe there's a big decision that's coming up or something mm -hmm. that's been on your mind for a while and you're trying to figure something out, which way to go, what to do you're just feeling a little bit lost about something and uh, see if you can come up with one thing that you'd like more clarity around. Okay. So just, okay. And then Kevin, why don't you do a couple practices and then I'll do the inner inquiry. Yeah, that sounds good. All right. So we'll All do right. it with you. So, okay. So this what do is I do? Just this... wait for you to ask questions. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'll guide us through this part. Okay. So the first thing we're going to do is a brain synchronization technique and this now we're getting in a little bit to the electromagnetic reality of our existence. We are electromagnetic beings. We produce energy at a heightened state. A trained athlete can produce as much energy as required to heat an oven to 350 degrees Fahrenheit. So if we're not disrupting our electromagnetic field and we're in a stress response, that is the resonance that we are putting out in the world. And that's the resonance we're going to experience. So in order mm -hmm. to disrupt that, almost unplugging the internet and plugging it back in, in a way, we yeah. have to get back into that whole brain state, dual antenna, instead of just the single antenna. So you can do this seated or standing and okay. we're seated right now. So just go ahead and start lifting one foot at a time up off the ground, like a seated march. And then we're going to add thigh taps to that. So your left hand is going to tap your right thigh. Your opposite hand is going to tap your opposite thigh each time you lift your foot up off the ground. So left hand, right thigh, right hand, left thigh, each time you lift your foot. And now comes the most important part. So eyes open, chin parallel to the ground. Look up and to your left to start. Left upper corner of the room, keeping your face straight forward. 
We'll do about 20 taps here. Marching, tapping, face swing forward, eyes up and to the left. And when you get to about 20, everything stays the same, the marching and the tapping. The only thing that changes is your gaze. So shift your, the way you're looking to the upper right corner of the room without changing anything else, facing forward still. Now, I just had a little bit of a yawn, which is a form of an energetic release. You may feel some tingles. You may feel some buzziness in your head. You may feel your digestion start to move. You may even feel like you need to use the restroom. These are all natural energy. I just feel like I want to laugh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's part one of the disruption that Kelly mentioned that we guide clients through. This next one is one of my favorites, and I call it a bellows breath. Okay. You, so if you're, you can stop tapping and marching if you're still doing that. So this one, we're going to pair some really short burst, intense holotropic breath okay. with another whole brain state of being. So for this one, cross your right ankle in front of your left and cross your right wrist on top of your left. And from there, you can just rest your hands right on your thighs because okay. we're going to be doing some quick switches. So for this one, I use the term bellows, but I, I recognize that maybe those aren't as prolific as they used to be. But if anybody's got a grandmother and you see this little accordion looking thing <laughs> next to the fireplace, or if you've ever seen an old movie with a metalsmith, there are these big <laughs> devices we can use to, to fuel fire, to really add fuel to the fire. So that's what we're going to, that quality is what we're looking for with this breath. So it's an open mouth inhale and exhale, relaxed abdomen on the inhale to get as much oxygen as our, in our lungs as we can. And then it's a forceful exhale through the mouth, like you're trying to blow a candle out on the opposite side of the room. So when, yeah, exactly. So when we loop them together, it's going to sound like this. Okay. So almost like a saw-like quality of breath. Yep. And this is one of my favorite ones because in 20 breaths, you are going to feel a physiological response. So we're going to do five, yeah, five well, breaths. So take this off. Yeah. <laughs> five breaths in each of the four crossings of the whole brain posture. And I'll be guiding you through those. And we're starting, as I mentioned, right, right wrist and right ankle in front of left. We're going to do five breaths here. I'm going to guide us through a switch. We're going to do three switches, end up 20 breaths total. And then we'll see how we feel afterwards. All right, ready? Yep. And begin. Switch just the wrists. Five more. Switch just the ankles. Five more. Switch the wrists back to their starting spot. Last five. Last breath all the way in, all the way out, squeeze, squeeze, and just let your breath return to normal. Some recovery breaths, whatever that means for you, in through the mouth and through the nose. A little yawn, maybe a little twist in your seat. And everybody, close your eyes. 
So we're going to put our highest selves in charge. <coughs> our wisdom self, our super conscious, the part of us that already knows the answer. And we'll ask to be guided in the direction of your best and highest overall good to get the most enjoyment and fulfillment out of life. So we're going to call to mind the question that you had, the direction that you're looking for. And in this balanced state, connected to highest self, we're going to ask, is there anything for you to see? And we're not going to try to come up with an answer. You're just going to go into that receiving mode, like that antenna, receiving antenna, and see if something comes in. It could be an image, a symbol, a color, word or words. And we're just going to wait about 30, 45 seconds. Is there anything for me to hear about this? Something I need to hear? It could come as song lyrics or a word or even a knowing. Is there something for me to know or understand about this? Is there anything I need to say or do about this? And is there any action I can take right now? and open your eyes. So you could try this at any time and you might lengthen the minutes, but it could be a five minute meditation where you just sit on the floor, cross your legs, put your back against the wall. And in that receiving mode, just see what comes in. And sometimes you receive some messages right away, sometimes not, but you might find you're doing some mundane task later, like you're doing the dishes, you're taking a shower, you're going for a walk, you're on the treadmill at the gym, and all of a sudden a response pops in and you're like, oh, 
So you're giving your brain better questions as connected to highest self and asking to receive that answer. So as we practice this more and more, we get more attuned to listening. Yeah. And sometimes it just might feel like an expansion, like a yes. Or when you think about this thing, it might feel like a contraction. And that can be an answer. Should I take this job? Should I be with this partner? Should I move to a new city? Does it feel open or does it feel closed? Even as simple as that subtle energy can be your answer. So the more we, yeah. that, That was really a powerful exercise. Totally different than my usual practice. And I liked it. I liked it a lot. Typically what I experience is, so my practice, like I have an evening routine, but my, my reflection practice and higher self connection, typically I'll get into a deep meditation. I'll have a contemplation before that. And I'll always say, I'm ready for my download tonight. <laughs> and so I'll just, and that just, for me, that just releases all responsibility of keeping track of anything that comes up. And I just, and typically I'll get like into like deep theta brain before I start really experiencing the downloads. But that one, I don't know if it was the breathing or the environment or whatever, but I was I felt myself like at the high end of the alpha brain wavelength. But it was interesting because I was still getting the responses. I was still getting the downloads, but it was in a different, it was almost like a conversational setting as opposed to my typical practice. It feels more just like a, an energetic knowing, like someone just inserted some knowledge into you where this was more like a conversation. It was like, it was already like, you know, that what you're doing is enough and you know that you can't control what you can't control. <laughs> and so what you're asking for here is something that you can control. I'm not giving it to you. Just laughing at me, <laughs> you silly child. So that was very powerful and fast. That's awesome. It yeah. was fast. Yeah. And like Kevin has a video he can share. We can put in the notes. Yeah. He guides, me, put in the show notes. Yeah. He guides through like a nine minute disruption process, but there's different processes and you can choose just to do one or do two, or if you have the time or the space, like he loves to do that in the evening between work and home to just disrupt that part of the day so that you're, you can be more focused with your family type of thing. That's beautiful. But one thing I did, one thing I found interesting was like, you would be talking and then, I don't know, two thirds of the way through my ego is, I got it. Right. And then there was like almost this interruption from higher self, I guess. It was almost like this interruption. Like it didn't like, it just stopped. Like the, the excited kid was just like, Oh, I know the answer to this. And it was just like, <laughs> <laughs> and then I got the download. It was like, great. It was awesome. I love how it seems like our higher selves have a little bit of sense of humor. And I find oh, that yeah. with at least all three of us. That's like very true. Oh yeah. It's just, it's, so go to Alan Watts. Alan Watts is like, oh, our yeah. biggest problem is we take everything so damn seriously down here. Yeah. And that's almost, that's the energetic connection I have with my higher self, which is guys, it hasn't always been that way. Like yeah. I, I don't know if I was like, if I had some like eremonic possession or something like that, mm -hmm. but I used to have a really evil inner critic, a really mm -hmm. evil inner voice. And it was mean and yeah. callous and it wanted everything. It, every, anything I, I did, it was like just inviting me to sabotage, you know, it was yeah. like putting a chocolate cake in front of a fat kid every morning. And so going through similar practices, like this does work, you guys, this stuff absolutely does work. And I, I wish I would have found you guys three years Aww. ago. That's for sure. Yeah. We have a powerful process. Kevin is the expert at this one, I would say, where we help change the relationship to your inner critic or the protector we might call. Oh, you and give me goosebumps. 
The, the way I heard it described is like your inner critic is a little bit harder on yourself than the worst critic you've ever had. So it yeah. could have been a, a coach or your dad or something. Yep. And so if we can just be a little bit harder on ourselves, then somehow we can do better and then they're going to love us or accept us or praise us. If I can expect more out of me than they do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, it's, this is like Kevin's wheelhouse. So when we have people that, and I think all of us can use it, is doing a process that usually takes about 90 minutes where we totally transform your relationship with that inner critic. Yeah. I recommend awesome. it. Yeah. It's, it guys, there isn't, man okay it's easy hyperbolic in this world right there's so many wonderful things to talk about and so many mystical concepts but i'm gonna go out on and be hyperbolic here but there are very few things that i could say that would be as impactful and life-changing as forming a relationship with that inner critic it's not about shutting it up it's not about changing its mind but it's not so much about standing up to it that's part of the process yeah. but it's more about just forming a relationship because as far as I can tell, that's a part of your higher self mechanism. It might be the underworld of your higher self. I don't know if that's even a thing, but, but, but we tend to just want to keep it quiet or run away from it or appease it as opposed to forming a relationship with it. And then that thing's not my biggest cheerleader. I can never feel yeah. alone and unsupported ever in my life ever. Cause my higher self won't let me, my inner critic won't let me. And the worst I, I thing, uh... was that your best, Jerry? Was that your best? Let's oh. be honest. That's as bad as it gets for me anymore. Yeah. I would differentiate highest self for, from inner critic because in the place of your highest self, all is forgiven. You can do no wrong. All yeah. is love. But this is a different aspect of self that can help us develop. And as you said, part of it, I joke of kicking the brain off of the pedestal. This is part of that mechanism to keep us safe and protected. Yeah, But it does have an important role to play that we can honor and value and listen to. And like you said, transform our relationship to. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. What that, you see, that's the hugest, uh, I think that's the hugest factor that can go into this approach to self-inquiry and transforming those relationships is differentiating between those voices. Yeah. Because the wisdom self, to Kelly's point, 100% unconditional love, unconditional acceptance, unconditional yeah. support, bar none. The critic, and I like to not only create a relationship, but to transform the relationship with that yes. critic, because yes. we are, we've already got a relationship to it. And for most That's of us, right. if sucks. you had a mean boss and he kept saying <laughs> shit that didn't make sense, wouldn't you go, where did you get that? Where yeah. did that come from? Yes. Just curious. Yeah. Or so, we'd quit. Right. Yeah, you say yeah. that over and over again. Do you have any proof? Yeah. And then also giving the critic and the protector at the right time, once we've moved through some of these processes, a new job. Yeah. Oh, because there you go. There at you the go. core, they want to help. They are sure. here to, they are here for us. Unfortunately, because of our, the lives we live being here for us is keeping us locked down because it's too dangerous out here. Yeah. Don't take chances. Stay within the program. Stay in your channel. Stay in your lane. Don't deviate because that can be dangerous. To you get kicked out of the tribe or you might kick out of the family, disowned. Yeah. And that happened a lot in the last two years. That did happen. It did. I don't talk to my father anymore. It breaks my heart. But And so the way I describe it is it's the critic is an aspect of our razor blade blanket. So Think of when we're born, the only safety we ever have is our blanket. Each one of us has a binky when we're born. And I do feel where we come from 
is a place of unconditional love and acceptance. And we can access that as we just talked. We can experience that in life based on getting out of our own way, disrupting those patterns, all those. We're born into imperfect situations and our parents are dealing with their stuff, which then uh, develops and expresses in potentially traumatizing, debilitating ways, but it's informing each and every aspect of that is informing our system of what to be aware of, what to be cautious of, beliefs to adopt in order to survive. But a lot of those aren't necessarily in alignment with unconditional love and acceptance. And so it's that separation that weaves these individual razor blades into our blanket. And mm. it's the only blanket that we know for safety, but each slight or each time where we're, we have an experience that's less than unconditional love, it's, a, it's an information step that is honing our operating system of life. And this is all usually within the first seven years. And then we grow up and we repeat, we, we repeat programs all the time. Yeah. And we also get to adulthood with this cape of razor blades. Yeah. With and all of this. Alive. It and that's exactly it. And it's like, yeah. you're, our systems are like, you're still, and th this is the challenge with our systems. They're extremists and they're generalists. <laughs> and our mind-body systems don't care about our happiness. They don't care about our fulfillment. All they care about is survival. And if right. we're surviving, everybody at the home office is getting raises. It's, we're doing a great job. Yeah. You know, Jer Jerry's surviving. Kelly's surviving. And then there's this like one the guy in the corner. We're the same thing. <laughs> yeah. And then there's this one aspect in the corner where it's like, yeah, but boss, are we happy? Are we living? Oh, shut up. Don't worry about that. You're surviving. Face behind the face doesn't ever smile. So it's getting out of those survival mechanisms. And with the work, it's unstitching those razor blades and it's really discarding this blanket because it's a recognition that everything comes from within our yeah. power our fulfillment our connection to others our connection to self our connection to whatever we perceive our source to be and if you're an atheist it's super whatever your name is everybody's got a source <laughs> no, no matter no matter your belief yeah this, so, this applies to everything yeah yeah so yeah. it's this opportunity to really start transforming those mechanisms of life to work more for us in ways that we really want and instead of ways that others think we should be experiencing yeah one thing that keeps coming up for me as i talk to both of you is just how complex and nuanced and layered and integrated and holistic we are as people and how we don't take that approach in relating to people and like the blanket a lot of what i do is personality work with people and really the personality work is to get to the soul work it's just that shows me what where your razor blades are in the blanket do you take the blanket everywhere do you ever <laughs> off? does it you got like a key like a master lock key around the neck but it's we get uh, we get into these modes and these patterns of behavior because of the blanket and the razor blades, and uh, and then we fall into this belief that that's who we are. Yeah. It's oh, this is me. And any I do enneagram, so it's like enneagram. I'm a type eight, and I don't right. know how many enneagram groups I'm in, and everybody's I'm a type four, I'm a three, I'm a two, and I do this. this that's just that's just your survival strategy interfacing with the world. Let's go. Let's get deep, a little deeper. Let's get a little deeper. What's causing that? So there's that's so cool that you do that because you create an understanding, but then it's still going beyond that to what's beyond that label. You just created is the deeper truth. So I love that you integrate that Jerry. Yeah. Cause what, one thing I think you guys probably have taken them too, but everybody's taking personality tests and yeah. 
And it's always been like through employment, right? And it's just like, what did you get out of that personality test? I'm an ENFJ or I'm a blue or I'm a yellow or I'm a, my love language is this. And it's just like, yeah, but what do you know about yourself that you didn't know before? (laughs) That was for your boss. That personality test was for your boss had nothing to do with you. So we could actually get some places with this stuff. So it's beautiful. And speaking of getting places. So before we go, I have to, we've got some time, a little bit of time left, but I want to get into what were, first of all, were you guys together when this, when all this event, the book event, the ninth floor event where Kevin, I'll let you tell the story, but this is, whoa, an awakening story, like to the max. And I'll leave in the show notes, how to get a copy of this book, this book, guys, I literally opened it, listened to it, but listened to it from start to finish. And then I started it over and listened to it again. Great book. I could never tell you, you haven't read 50 books, Kevin, it's a very well-written book, Thank you. Uh, but just curious, what was it? Were you guys together at the time? And then when Kevin had this <laughs> rocket ship to the ninth floor, what did that do to Kevin and Kelly's relationship? And what kind of fireworks, trying to spark, what kind of interesting stuff has come out of the woodwork <laughs> since then? Yeah. So Kelly and I have been together since 2002. We got, we were married in 2004 and what Kelly shared about our daughter, that kind of journey into these tools was 2016. And then my experience was 2019. And we were 17 years into our relationship and 15 years into our marriage when this happened. And some people get the seven year itch. And for us, it was more of like a 14 year where we would argue semantics and we would disagree and we would just be causing turmoil and dis-ease in our relationship and within ourselves by proxy. And then our daughter was the impetus, the instigator that really set us on this path. And I took the bull by the horns and I ran. And the two biggest factors within all of that for me were learning how to self-muscle test and learning the emotion code, which is, how would you describe that, Kelly? Kind of a diagnostic tool set? Yeah. Once, once you learn how to muscle test yourself and get an answer, it's a binary code. Yes, no, true, false. And so the emotion code is just a list of what we call dense or limiting emotions. So if you're feeling something intense and you don't know what it is, you pull out this list and you ask your body, is it in row A or row B? Is it odd or even? And your system guides you to the emotion and then you can uncover more about it. You can say, all right, the emotion is betrayal. Is it something that happened in my past or right now? Is it something at work or at home? And then you're testing your body for the yes, no response until you get the answer. And then then you you, can release it. Yeah, you release the energy of that emotion. And the other big factor we talked about, 95% of our thoughts are going to be repetitive or looping in some manner. And about 85% of our thoughts on any given day are going to trend towards negative. So I took all that and I said, okay, if we're at the 85, 85 and 95th percentile with negative thoughts and repeat, repeating looping thoughts, I'm not listening to any of it. I'm done. And so I started muscle testing everything. What to have for breakfast, what shirt to wear, what show to watch, where to go, what do I want to run, uh, box, yoga, or do extra, or do or surf this week? Just because I was like, I can't trust anything in my head. And so in retrospect, what I recognized I was doing was training my intuition training myself back to that inner knowing that had always been there. And with each step I took, and again, I was on the, I was on the, I was a benefactor of Kelly's journey to this training and this, these modalities and also our friends, because I was the test. I was the tester. Like, Hey, do you want to do this process? Yep. Hey, do you want to try this approach? Yep. 
So I was I saying yes to everything and really getting to the capital T truth of what we try to escape on the inside. So one example is Kelly and I were working with this Western MD who also practiced kinesiology and our really, we were fighting and we wouldn't say it because we were dismissing it or describing it away. Oh, we're just semantically disagreeing, but we were fighting. We're not seeing that. Yeah. But we, I don't think we ever slept apart and we were in the same bed and we wouldn't always want to be sleeping right next to each other, but we would at least touch feet, touch toes. And a lot of times I'll tell this story and people are like, oh, but I'm like, no, wait, <laughs> that, that was, it was a beautiful expression. I wouldn't change a thing, but when we got to the root of it with inquiry from this doctor, he said, no, Kevin, when you guys are fighting and you're and this came up. He said, okay, hold on, let's talk about this. When you're fighting, how far away do you want to be? And I said, that same distance. I don't want to be any further away. I could not have held my arm up to save my life. It was a weak response. Uh, Okay, I guess just the other side of the bed, weak response. Okay, I guess when we're fighting, I want to be in the other room. And at this point, I'm guessing. Nope, weak response. And then I took a few beats and I took a breath and got connecting with that knowing as we've been touching on. What I heard in my head was a different galaxy. And so when we fought, part of me wanted to be in a different galaxy, a galaxy away because of how it was feeling. And that tested strong. Yeah. So once I got to that truth, even though it was, it was sucked and it was painful and it, and Kelly really took it hard because we were both in different constructs of co-creation and codependency in some ways. Once we were able to both move through that, what I found and Kelly, Kelly, what I feel like you got to was this a greater place of non-attachment a greater place of more peaceful presence and it was just more of that's okay it's okay to want that because it was or to have your system react that way because it was a very intense experience and now once we addressed it we can let it go and it doesn't have to control our behavior our interactions or our outcomes as much anymore yeah and so it was a three-year journey of highs and lows and i would go I remember in the early days, I'd go to a session with this doctor individually, and I'd be reaching for the door handle and the waterworks would just start. It was just the disruption mm-hmm. of emotional release. And then I'd leave the session feeling like I'm on cloud nine for two or three hours. And then I'd crash hard and just was like an energetic hangover is how I describe mm-hmm. it. But along the way, all of my symptoms were starting to clear up, which historically had been irritable bowel, leaky gut type of stuff. I'd always had food allergies, food sensitivities my whole life. Yeah, the autoimmune tend- response. Exactly. Yeah. So my expression in my family was a lot of allergies and environmental sensitivities, food, environment, mine expressed with physical ailments. So a lot of ear infections and strep throats before the age of five. I was on elimination diet of food when I was in second grade in the 1980s. Wow. All that stuff started. Yeah. And then everything settled in in my 20s. And then once things got comfortable in our relationship in our 30s, all of these underlying triggers and programs really started to rear their ugly heads uncooked seeds yeah so i was dealing with pre-hypertension high blood pressure anxiety stress depression leaky butt irritable leaky butt leaky, leaky gut. Some, unfortunately some of that as well <laughs> leaky gut irritable bowel here to be um, honest yeah yeah and even a little bit of erectile dysfunction for a little while And this is where it's a yes. And we touched on this a little earlier. So nothing's created in a vacuum. And it's not this, if I have a compound fracture, I'm not going to do energy healing. I'm going to go to a surgeon and get that thing set. So to that point, I did some blood tests and recognized I have the MFTHR gene, 
which impacts the absorption of B12 and how readily we can, our system absorbs it. And I was doing testosterone injections, feeling good. But I was like, this is a stopgap. It's not an answer. So cool. Add B12. Oh my gosh, I'm feeling better. This is great. Okay, fantastic. That lasted four or five months. And then I started to slip back into old patterns or old symptoms. And so that's the yes and. So our inputs matter. Our, the energy we take in with food, with hydration, with nutrition, with media, with social media, with content consumption, it's all energy going into the system. Yeah. And if we're not releasing the energy, if we're not hitting that pressure release valve, whether through physiological responses, getting outside, exercising, getting in nature, breathing deeply, we're not getting underneath the surface. Those are just going to build and then explode into symptomatic expression. So I'm yeah. feeling better. And then I clear my stuff and then I start feeling my old symptoms come back and I start muscle testing. I'm like, this is mine. Nope. Okay. And we're out to dinner. I'm like, this is an emotional thing from somebody in this restaurant. Yep. And then I narrow it down. It's like, it's the dad in the booth over there. And I was like, okay. And so I excuse myself, I go to the bathroom and I identify what it was and I'd clear the emotions. And this started happening all the time. Then it started happening with what I experienced as ancestral energy or generational stuff. And then it started happening with places. I started to feel the energy of places. And I was never looking for any of this. I was just feeling better along the way. And I was at this point in 2019 and Kellyanne, another friend recommended to go see this practitioner local to us because they had good experiences with her. And a lot of the messages I was getting was what's holding me back. And the analogy I used was I, at the time, I felt like I was a toddler in a dark room, like feeling my way around and I could sense there was more there. I just couldn't see it. I was yeah. like, I know there's something right there. Yeah. And the reflection I was getting is it's fear that's holding me back. It's fear that's holding you back. And I've been my whole life just like moving through fear, moving through fear, moving through fear. Sure. And so I said, yes, I preloaded it. I did a cranial sacral session. I did a, I did it like two or three energy modalities before I went to go see her. Body talk. Yeah. Body talk. Yeah. And then I had this ridiculously amazing, familiar, new, wild experience on a table in a no touch, no talk, biofield harmonic energy session. So the practitioner got information from her guides, from her connection, and I had my experience, which I can only describe as after some prep was like mainlining unconditional love, like flooded every cell of my body. And Jerry, I think you had that you have a similar experience on the mat. Oh yeah. Whereas like a supernova goes off in your head and it's just, it was the most home I'd ever felt. It was the most just connected and not beyond supported. It was just part of the isness of all that is the warmest hug you've ever experienced. Yeah. yeah the warmest hug from the biggest. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And the voice in my head changed, which was interesting. So what I heard in my own voice was, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you made it. We're going to have so much fun together. Oh my God. So my, Kevin, I was in the middle of a meditation and I yeah. connected to the ninth floor guy must've been. Yeah. And I just get this download, let it go. So I start letting it go. And I just start losing it. Just turning I'm through. I'm at the local gym in the yoga studio. It's I love it. And I'm sitting yeah. there in the middle of the yoga studio in a chair. And then about halfway through my bawling session, I get this download. It's nice to meet you. And I just lost it. <laughs> like, it was what was that? Like, I'm probably going to it again. <laughs> Woo! We. Yeah. When I read your book, I was like, <laughs> this is a thing this is yeah. a thing you're not crazy you might be but you're not crazy because this. <laughs> yeah totally that was it yeah and it was 
yeah, profound and amazing and shocking and surprising and all the things all at once, really, just like yeah. you described. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. How about, have you always been like a, a mental processor and this kind of opened up the heart and gut for you and integrated it all? Yeah, it's interesting. So I do feel like all of us have a telephone game. If we go back to the cans and string, if anybody remembers those from back in the day, we all have a telephone game with our system and we're all connected and we all get information when we're young because we haven't had life like beat us down and load us up with these mountains we carry with us. And so, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, unencumbered. Yeah, free. Yeah. So for me, it's a relearning of that language, of that intimate language. And it mm -hmm. develops and it evolves over a lifetime. And so for me, sometimes I hear it. Sometimes I see it as a scene. Sometimes it's a movie scene. Sometimes it's just a scene that I'm shown. Sometimes it's a word like in bright neon flashing in my mind. Yeah. It's and, like it feels to a sense we're not familiar with. It's yeah. Like, and I feel like it pulls from our experience too, yeah. where it could be a song or a lyric or to Kelly's point, mm -hmm. it could be a color or a shape or a feeling. And it's up to us as individuals to really play with that, to gain a greater and deeper understanding about how our hyper individuated systems react, respond and communicate with us outside from the neck down. Because yeah. I think we receive especially in the West, we're fairly good at, we, we can be good at receiving in the mind, but the body is such an important part of that antenna of the oh, antenna yeah, tower. Like doesn't it? Everything yeah. just gonna, doesn't go past. It's just like, then it's just, it's a safety program. That's no, don't feel it. If you feel it, then you might be in trouble. Not that, where we fall on the gender spectrum. And I've noticed people with shamanic gifts are looked at as crazy and right. or ridiculed. And if we think back to, if we do have this power within us, how would we have nurtured this and primitively? Like, how would this become a part of us? You would need a shaman to help you. Yeah. But now we don't have that. So right. we get these and we ignore it. And mm -hmm. just like in the exercise we did, that was like a higher self communication system that I was yet unfamiliar with. Yeah. That I was like, oh my gosh, I can receive these messages like in like high alpha brain. Wow. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. I didn't really realize that. Yeah. So Kelly, curious to hear what your experience was as, as all this was unfolding. Kevin's going through his awakening. You're having yours. But I would like to know, too, I'll ask you the same question. Before you started experiencing this, did you were you always open in your heart and your gut center, or were you a mental processor as well? Definitely mental processor. I knew at 12 years old I wanted to go into psychology. When we started working with this emotional kinesiologist, he started muscle testing my body and he's like, you don't know yourself at all. And I was like, but I've self-analyzed since I was 12. Of yeah, course yeah, I know yeah. myself. But he would ask me questions and everything would go white. And my world would go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm just hitting up against a subconscious block. And I just remember something about some truth came up with, the, with this muscle testing with this doctor. And it was like, in fact, you feel unlovable and it's dangerous to love you. And, I, and my body was like, yes. And then he said, what's going on with you right now? Poor, and I yeah. touched my face and I was like, water. And he said, what is that called? And I was like crying. <laughs> I was, you water? Yeah, yes. I was so oh, disassociated wow. from it. Wow. But when the truth came out and my body had that response, it was recognized as truth. So that's why the brain got off the pedestal. I was like, okay, there's some stuff here that my brain is protecting me from. It's you don't need to know that. Shove that down. Don't look at that. 
And for about two weeks, I felt like everything is a lie. And I was like, I don't know what to trust. The rug has been pulled out from under me. And then after two weeks, the I was like, of the awakening. yeah. And then I was like, yeah. then I was like, you don't have to trust what your mind says. Oh my, it's <laughs> ultimate freedom. So then it just flipped where I was like, it's just talking. It's just wah, wah, yeah. wah, wah, yeah. wah, wah. It's like a drunk and kid. <laughs> I don't have to listen. So it went from rug pulled out from under, what can I trust to ultimate freedom? And watching Kevin you go- can trust now. That's the beauty. <laughs> yeah. What can yeah. I go with? Now I trust my gut. Now I trust my intuition. Now I trust my heart way much more than I trust the brain coming up with answers. And yeah. we ask ourselves not very good questions. Why am I, why is nothing else working out for me? Why am I so stuck? Why don't I have enough money? Why instead we should ask, be asking ourselves better questions. Yeah. But I, I watched Kevin go through this and it, it was really interesting. He had a day of what he would call like a, just an energy. What did you call it? Like hangover. a hangover. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, when I worked with her, she told me to take an Epsom salt bath and he goes, no, she didn't tell me that. And I go, why don't you get in there? So he never takes baths. He always used to take showers and he takes an Epsom salt bath. And he explains to me that in this bath, everything just came together. It was like thunk and outlines to his book and filling in all the information just started coming into his mind. And for the next two and a half weeks, he wrote that book. And I've never seen anybody in a flow state like that, let alone my husband. And he was smiling the entire time. He was typing on the computer for 11 hours a day or more. And then you would go into the bath for two or three hours with his little iPhone six at the time, typing with his thumbs. And he, I would say, what, how's it going? What's going on? And he's like, I can't even get the words out fast enough. Wow. Like it's we just download, download. Yeah. yeah. It was a full on download. Uh, it was what? channeling like a mofo, yeah. just channeling AF, like channeling yeah. the shit totally. out of this thing. So what, <laughs> it, it, and it, he smiled the whole time. So it was really cool to observe someone in that state. Yeah. So what came from that is like six different pillars to live from, how to guide. Kevin's whole experience used to be in computers, user experience, user interface, like guiding a user through a process to get to a desired outcome. And I realized with that framework that you were able to help people in that similar way, move through a framework to a desired outcome, which is connecting to your higher self and anyone can yeah. do it. Yeah. So through your book, we created our radical living course and our radical relationship course through through what I've learned through my education and what you've learned through your download. So it just culminated together in a program. And this is how we now teach other people how to do it. And it was, to be honest, it was a, real, a little bit hard for me because this was like my realm. And before I would ask Kevin, I'd say, you're really good at this stuff. Are you sure you don't want to do what I do? And he said, no, I love my design work. I love what I'm doing. And then all of a sudden, he came home after that day and he's, I can't do my old work anymore. Mm. And I was like, all right, what are you going to do? And he says, my only thing I can do is to help people awaken. And so we're like, okay, but it was a little funky because it's like it threw us off center. And in a way I was like, wait, this is my realm. And you're given all these gifts in my realm. What does that mean for me? And how do we stand and how do we work together? And we waited for maybe a year and a half or so with things separate. And then we decided there was so much collaboration that we would form a union and still it's challenging. Like we still face our own insecurities and 
trying to figure out how does this work together? How can we get along well and both have something to say and share ideas and information in a way that makes sense and not step on each other's toes and stuff like that. So it is definitely a process of unfolding that we're still working on. Yeah, I can imagine your clients really appreciate witnessing that dynamic and you guys navigating that in real time. Mm-hmm. It may feel awkward and, and weird at the time, but I bet they appreciate the heck out of it. Oh, thank you. For better or for worse, I'm very forthright with all of my clients where somebody will come, I'm having trouble with my husband. I'll be like, hey, me and Kelly just got into it last week. <laughs> yep. You gotta be. And it's just, it's, you know, yeah. I, to, to Kelly's credit, yeah, I had my experience on November 19th or November 21st, 2019. And I drove straight to her office and I, I shared, I told her what she shared. And when she had asked me, would you want to do this work? It was probably a year or two prior. And at the time I was living what I would call a fulfilling life with, it was great being in the design, the place I was in my design career. And to Kelly's credit, I came to her on that Thursday. I said, I told her, I was like, you guys, I'm so sorry. I got to pause. Okay. Okay. I'm so sorry. I got to hop on. No problem. I love you guys. I didn't realize how much time had gone by. I was like, I looked at the clock. I was like, holy crap. I know me too. So let's just close it out for just saying goodbye to everyone. All right, Kelly. Yeah. And we'll just have to, we'll have to put it to be continued on this. We'll I'll just say thank you, Jerry, so much for having Thanks us for on coming the podcast. On and sharing. Thank oh you my so gosh. Much. I love all the interconnections that our conversation made and got to and formulated as we went. It, it was just a beautiful collaboration of ideas that all came together. And we really appreciate you. Thank you so much for having us on. Thanks, Kelly. Thanks for joining Absolutely. us. Absolutely. And we want to offer your listeners 20% off any individual sessions with us up to through 2023. So we will put in the show notes, a little code that they can use if they want to do some work. Awesome. Awesome. Guys, that is a huge deal. That is a huge deal. And uh, take advantage of it now because if they're in our game fall, winter time, our prices usually get adjusted. That's right. So you might want to take advantage of that right away, guys. So thank you, Jerry. All right. Thanks, Kelly. All right. Bye everybody. All right. See ya. I know we talked a lot about the book, but just as a, so people know, we're going to tell them where to find it, but what is the book guys? The book is Kevin's story of this awakening. And I know that you guys have probably been blown away by his knowledge and his wisdom, but this is how fast when you get in touch with your highest self and you learn to follow your intuition and follow the guidance. This stuff happens fast. He said his awakening happened in 2019, the day before my birthday, by the way. Um, Yeah, mine was 2017, November on the Grand Ron River. Um, Yeah, but uh, but anyway, so this book tells you all about it. Like like he said, he wrote it in two and a half weeks. And it is a, if you're into some of these esoteric concepts and some of these mystical, spiritual, enlightening stories, this one, you got to check it out. It's an amazing book. Kevin, where can they get your book? Thanks, Jerry. Yeah, easiest place, probably Amazon. If you are a supporter of more independent bookstores, it's available through Ingram Spark, which is most likely if it's an independent bookstore, they'll be connected to that system. So the, your local independent can order it through that approach. And then audiobook is available on Amazon as well. Cool. And it's called My Guy on the Ninth Floor by yep. Kevin Russell. You got it. Check it out check it out. It's, it's a book. It's I think on audible. It's about four hours or something like that. Four or five hours yeah, yeah, three, something like that. Yeah. So it's not extremely long, but it's really captivating. It will grab you and pull you in. It's oh, very, well it. very well written. Very well written.
It's about 200 uh, pages. It's dense with info, and it really is a handbook for getting to wherever you want to get to. Uh, yeah, and, and you're so vulnerable and transparent through the whole thing, Kevin. Yeah. So I don't think there's anybody alive that can't relate to what you share in that book at some point in your journey, whether it be pre-awakening or during the awakening process or after. And what I really appreciated about the book was your description of the actual process of awakening. We get a lot of, we get a lot of anecdotes about someone's new enlightened state and what they do to stay enlightened and their little drills and tricks and stuff. But this is like the stuff that people don't talk about, like going through the process and it's like, Maybe, yeah, I don't, dark nights and, yeah, uh, yeah. More, and you're like, man, it's Friday. And if I talked to myself from Monday, we wouldn't have anything to talk about. I don't even know that guy anymore. Like that yeah. stuff happens, but. Anyway, yeah. guys, check it out. My Guy on the Ninth Floor by Kevin Russell, R-U-S-S-E-L, and his wonderful wife, Kelly. They've offered you a 20% discount on their services. I will put it in the show notes, but if you're listening and you don't want to click on it, I get it. You're going to want to go to RadicalEnlightenment.com, and that's for any of their services that aren't just the one-on-one -on -one with either Kelly or Kevin. If you want one-on-one -on -one with Kelly or Kevin or both, you're going to want to go to RapidTransformationSessions.com. All right, guys, don't miss out on this opportunity. You found something special. All right. I don't think that's by accident. Your higher self led you here. All right. <laughs> Follow the cues. Muscle test it if you have to. There you go. I'm confident in your response. All right. I love it. All right, Kevin, thanks for joining me today, brother. And uh, I would love to. It's an honor and a pleasure. And as you said, the time flew by. So definitely looking to get into it again with you. All right, man. You take care. You as well. All right, guys, thanks for joining. Thanks for tuning in. Peace, much love, and live well.